The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. This is Planning Your Financial Future with Don Fox and Andy Lister of IG Private Wealth Management and your host, Scott Thompson on 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now, leave a message. They will get back to you at 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. There you can listen to old archive shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Good Scott. morning. Good to see you all. Uh, yes. Going to talk about planning for your family's financial future. Yes. Now, did everybody have a successful Valentine's Day last night? That's What's what successful? It's so objective. That's, that's, that's <laughs> an, oh, it's an open-ended question. Yes. Oh, yeah. It was fabulous. <laughs> Excellent. And you, Don? <laughs> it was great. I went out. I was away skiing. <laughs> By myself. <laughs> Came back on the, oh, the, obviously to make the show. So. There you go. Have you talked to your Valentine yet? I will after the show. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe so, you'll, you should ask next week. Eh? Yeah. So right. on the success factor, that's going to, that's right. a fail. And what about you? How was <laughs> Wonderful. Yours? We there cooked a, cooked a steak dinner and everything's great. Wow. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Preparing your family for their future. And you know, it is, it's, What's interesting is as our clients have aged Mm -hmm. and their children are now having children, the grandchildren are arriving. And uh, so the question's about, well, can you speak to my kids about Mm -hmm. how to be better with their family? Right. And, uh, you know, how can they, what's important to them? I think they need some help. Just having a plan. Yeah. And um, so as I sort of started to think about what are the what are the things you need to do to prepare for the future of a family? And, and I mean, as I say, having children is a rewarding experience. There's no doubt about it. But it's also a considerable financial expenditure, yeah. as we all know. And uh, so how do you put a solid plan into place? What about uh, things like providing for their education. Maybe they have artistic or sports needs. Uh, maybe you need to move to a larger home or a different neighborhood, or maybe it's uh, protection in case somebody dies prematurely. And then, of course, what about the estate? So just trying to figure out where do you start in this whole process and what are the key priorities? And I think the main thing is you think about um, that first step, which is going to be maternity leave and understanding maternity or parental leave. Yeah. What are your options available there? So I think it's important to do that, uh, do the research to understand what's available in Ontario. And you can have up to a full year in terms of parental leave, mm-hmm. right? And uh, That's either parent. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. So at the end of the day, you know, the, the, the problem is, is that employment insurance is not going to cover the whole income that you lose. It's only yeah. going to be a percentage. So you have to decide how much is going to be enough and mm-hmm. do we need to supplement that taxes are going to be deducted at source but they're probably not enough to cover off maybe all the tax you owe on the year so you've got to be careful make sure that you've set aside enough for income tax and you also have to be aware that you may earn too much to be able to qualify right. for ei as well so you want to make sure you're not in a situation where you're going to have to do a payback scenario and if you're self-employed then there are no access to parental leaves or yeah. EI benefits. So it's going to be self-funded. In that case, you need to build up an emergency cash reserve that will cover up all cover all those expenses <clears throat> until you're able to return to work. And then we're thinking about returning to work leads you to childcare. Mm. And the process mm. around childcare, if you're a two-income earning family, 
then uh, the primary t- uh, caregiver is typically going to return to work within that 12-month period or sooner, particularly if you're self-employed. And so uh, child care expenses become a next issue. Child care expenses, including the cost of a nanny, mm-hmm. are tax deductible from your personal income. Mm-hmm. So it would be just like contributing money to an RRSP. You, get to, you, you pay $10,000 in child care expenses, you get a $10,000 deduction from your income. But the difference is, is that between RSPs and this type of deduction is that you can only take the child care expense deduction off the person with the lowest income. Mm. So unfortunately, that means you're not saving the maximum amount of income tax because it is the lowest person's income, lowest uh, spouse income, Mm -hmm. and it's earned income. um, And that's only important if you had other sources of income, for example, pension income or investment income those don't count against determining who is the lowest income earner. So it's mm-hmm. earned income that is used in that calculation. So that makes sense. And I think uh, basically that, that a lot of people might decide to either, um, I've had clients who have had uh, a live-in nanny mm-hmm. from that from that perspective with mm-hmm. a large number of uh, four children and uh, two working parents yeah. that decided that was the best route to go. And then for others, it's been um, the regular daycare uh, routine yeah. where drop-off off and pick up scenarios for for your kids. So once you've got that straightened out, then you want to think about, oh, what about our safety net? What happens, what would happen if something or one of us were not able to work? Mm-hmm. What happened would happen if we if somebody died prematurely? So I think the key the key things here is that you want to think about what how much life insurance do we need? and making sure that disability insurance is in place. And if you've got those two pieces, you've got a good foundation to start with in terms of protecting the family and uh, creating that sort of safety net. Mm-hmm. Um, and don't forget that if you're like a stay-at-home parent needs uh, life insurance as well, because if the stay-at-home parent were to die, you have to think about the cost of replacing that childcare need. Oh, How much point, is that yeah. going to cost, Didn't right? That, yeah. So the, having that extra domestic help or professional childcare is going to be an expensive undertaking. So we need to think about that in determining the amount of, of life insurance you need. And the next thing is going to be a house, mm-hmm. right? You're probably thinking family's getting bigger. We need a house, a home to, to be able to expand. And, um, and as life changes, that sometimes means moving into a bigger home. Yeah. You need an extra bedroom, you need more space for a playroom, a backyard that you might uh, be more beneficial. And it also becomes an issue of your neighborhood. Are are we close enough to a school? Maybe we need to move just to get into a better neighborhood or closer to a school that uh, is a desirable location. So when it comes to planning for that, Obviously, you're getting into financing, mortgage arrangements, and understanding how much of a down payment you have to be able to do a switch from where you are into a bigger home, and how does that impact your capacity to be able to look after your other financial goals as well. So just balancing, I think, that that larger home desire with the needs for your long-term financial plan as well. Well, after that, uh, you know, school, kindergarten begins and that's fine. But then suddenly you might think, oh, I'm not happy with the school. And a lot of parents are looking at private school mm-hmm. as an alternative. And so now we've got another cost associated on a monthly basis and an annual basis. And private schools can range anywhere from as low as three grand mm-hmm. a year up to as much as 26000 a year for mm-hmm. prestigious uh, uh, private schools as well. Yeah. So it can be a very costly education. Uh, some people uh, rank it as, an, as, as a key 
financial goal and are willing to sacrifice in other areas yeah. to provide for that private education. So that's something is just a personal decision. You have to weigh it out. But we're able to build that into your financial plan to see how can we do it? What are the impact? What other lifestyle things maybe do you need to defer mm -hmm. to be able to afford to pay for that private school along the way? Um, sometimes if you if your family's going to a private school, you get lower fees for the second student or the third student. Right. Or if, you're, if you are a low-income family, uh, there is some support or recognition for um, reduced tuition fees for lower-income families as well. So then um, the private school finishes and now, or regular school finishes, and now you're thinking about post-secondary education, higher education. And, uh, and I think the thing about saving for post-secondary education is the sooner the better. Yeah. Uh, and there's no reason why people can't start right away in terms of an, a registered education savings plan, but... Um, because we know that post-secondary education is so critical in terms of just in making, looking, I think, creating a higher earning potential mm -hmm. for your yeah. for your child as well. Higher starting point. And a greater good. financial security, mm -hmm. right, with that education as well. Um, you know, I guess that, and the, the question is the cost associated with it. And I was just looking at a chart here in terms of Ontario, the average cost for tuition has increased about 21% in the past five years, 21%. Five years. Yeah. So over 4%, roughly about 4% a year and inflation is rough is about 2%. So it's about double the, double the rate of inflation. Right. So I don't know where that's going to end because at mm -hmm. some point it's just not going to make yeah, sense no, anymore. No. And we found that, you know, as long as we've been doing the show, it's always yeah. seems to be double inflation. Yes. It, it doesn't seem to have the same kind of fall. And I thought it might level out, Yeah, but it still is a, Twice the twice the inflation rate. So it's 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 actually that the target of post secondary education is moving further and further away from most yeah, people financially because yes. yeah. your income isn't growing at that pace. And as well. particularly student income. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So in Ontario, we're looking at about seventy five hundred bucks is the average uh, 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 tuition fees for a full time student, and uh, in Quebec, it's only about twenty eight hundred, so less than half. Wow. For a little bit Quebec. of subsidy going absolutely. on there. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, in Ontario, pardon me, Ontario is the highest at 7,500. Uh, Quebec is the lowest, and um, Manitoba comes in at around 3,800. And Newfoundland and Labrador, actually, sorry, Newfoundland and Labrador is actually the cheapest at about $2,700 hmm. for tuition. Um, but uh, ed registered education savings plans have obviously been the go-to solution for our higher education and uh, so when we're talking with young couples, it's just about getting that money into that plan and setting up a regular contribution to the RESP. Mm -hmm. And the main things are is that that money is tax sheltered while it grows or tax deferred while it's growing. And then the child withdraws that money when attending their post-secondary school. And those withdrawals are taxed in their hands. And because their income is typically lower, they will pay very little tax to take that money out. Although there's no there's no minimum or maximum to what you can put in. You can as, as long as you don't put a total. You can, your grand total over the course of an RESP is you can contribute fifty grand, mm -hmm. and you need about thirty four thousand to get the uh, uh, sorry thirty six thousand to get the twenty percent government grant money right. over the course of that time period. So basically, it's seventy two hundred dollars free money that free you're entitled money. to. Yep. it's just you have to get the money in there in the first place. Right. Exactly. And again, the question is, where do you get the funds from? Because quite often the the parents mm -hmm. are you know they got a mortgage, they've got mm -hmm. kids, they got day to daycare costs, lots of other costs, and if they do private school, there's more costs. Uh, I often look at the grandparents. 
Yeah. And uh, allowing, you know, letting everybody know that we have this fund available. Mm -hmm. And anybody, if they want to contribute to it, just let us know. We'd be more than happy to add it to our kids' uh, education fund. But just like when you're, you know, uh, you have a new family member and you have to adjust your will or you'll have to adjust your, your insurance or what have you, this is one of those things that... As soon as you pick a name, you should be starting on this. Absolutely. And one of the, um, and and as you think about parents or grandparents, if if you are an affluent parent or grandparent and you find yourself with excess cash, one of the things you can think about is an investment account for a child, a minor child uh, under the age of 18, or you could also set up what we call an age 40 trust. Mm -hmm. In an age 40 trust, you'd want to have about at least around 50 grand as a minimum amount to put into an age 40 trust, but basically it allows you to income split. So you take that 50 grand out of being in your name and paying tax on it, shift it over to the trust, and then the income flows to the minor child and mm-hmm. is taxed in their hands. And uh, I guess finally, you know, you think about will and estate planning, make sure as a young family, you've got a will in place and that you've got a guardian set up to make sure that anything happens to you, who's going to be looked after. And uh, I think if you've got all of these pieces running together, you've got a pretty good basis to start your family. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now, leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. Don Fox, Andy Lister, and Scott Thompson, a winning combination. This is Planning Your Financial Future on 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now. Leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. And take a peek at the website at andyanddon.com. Uh, talking about how most, up to 70%, don't think they have enough to retire. Yes. It's a recent poll. Um, and it's kind of interesting, actually, because I'm sure they wouldn't have said this back in, say, 1941. Hmm. Do you know what the average life expectancy was for a male and female back in the 40s? Wow. I'd guess and say uh, 65. Very good. Not bad at all, Scott. 63 for a male and 66 for a female. Hmm. So retirement planning wasn't necessary. No. You worked till 65 and that was pretty much it. Then you died. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. (laughs) You didn't have to. And fast forward 70 years. Spend it right away. Yeah. Yeah, Fast forward 70 years, 2011 is the last stats I have here. And the average male lives to 80, mm-hmm. and the average female lives to 84. That's average. That's not the one. And if you take the ones that, say, didn't make it to retirement, you know, they died pre, pre-retirement, mm-hmm. that would, of course, bump the numbers even further. So a 65-year-old male generally lives to about 85 or longer, and females, are, it's like 87. Mm-hmm. So now we have a, a retirement and again, thank you, thank you, because that's why we have this retirement uh, financial planning show, because we wouldn't need all this, right? Yeah. So you look at this and you say, okay, a lot of people don't feel they have enough funds for retirement. And one of the things on this poll right off the get-go was, you know, know your number. And many financial advisors suggest you need a million dollars to retire. And I looked at that and I said, okay, well, if per, you had, per, per person or per couple? For a couple. For a couple. Okay, so if you had a million dollars... Um, today, you're 65. Mm-hmm. 
And you thought, okay. And two-thirds of Canadians expect they'd have less than that. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I would suggest most would, mm-hmm. okay? But a million dollars is still a fair bit of money. Mm-hmm. You know, don't, don't discount it too much here because a million dollars at 65, if you say, okay, both of us, the last death is age 90. We're mm-hmm. going to live to 90. This is a 25-year retirement. That would give you 64000 a year, mm-hmm. okay, at 4% interest. Mm-hmm. So if you invested at 4%, nothing great. Just an average kind of moderate portfolio. Then you get Canada Pension Plan. And let's say between the two of you, you'd get 18000 a year. That's not the max. That would be just slightly above average. Um, old age security kicks in at 14000 a year. So therefore, you'd end up with $96,000 um, before tax. I worked it out that you'd pay about $11,000 in income tax. So you end up with $85,000 after tax, approximately $7,000 a month. Mm-hmm. And I know you have to take a new account inflation and so forth, but I, I would suggest that 7000 a month is generally more than enough. Mm-hmm. Um, unless you have a lot of debt going into retirement, that funds a really good retirement. So a million dollars is still a lot of money, and I would suggest most people wouldn't need that much. Mm-hmm. It all comes down to how, you know, your lifestyle mm-hmm. um, and, and going into retirement, how much if you have debt. But even if you say, okay, well, you know, maybe we'll live past uh, uh, 90, we'll go to 100 that would still give you $53,500 a, a year until age 100. Um, pretty darn good. And the nice thing with income splitting is if you have that in RSPs, you can split half of that with your spouse. So you end up with a similar income and get tax favorable tax treatment because you get the age credits and pension credits. And this doesn't include if uh, later on, perhaps when you get disability credits mm-hmm. and you potentially would get some tax savings there. So. Again, it comes down to really knowing your number. So 50% of Canadians saving for retirement, according to this poll, have not visited a financial advisor in the last 12 months. Mm. I thought that was a kind of interesting stat because really visiting a retirement, uh, an, uh, an advisor may not be, well, what if it was 13 months? Mm. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the real question I'd say is, do you have a financial advisor in the first place? Yeah. And do you have a plan? And thirdly, are you following the plan? Because if you actually have a written plan showing, taking into account a lot of things I just said there in terms of, you know, how much money do you have? What is your lifestyle? How much can you accumulate in the next, until retirement, whatever that date is? What is your retirement date? There's so many variables and a good plan would take all that information and also things such as how often you buy a car, Mm -hmm. um, how often you think you have to support adult children. Are you going to kick in some money maybe to buy their first house? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of uh, areas of a financial plan. So I I don't think that was a very necessary question. But again, you should probably see your advisor, at least talk to your advisor once a year. Okay. And 68% are currently saving for retirement overall, which I thought was pretty good. But of those 60%, 68% rather, 70% are actually worried they're not doing enough. Now, the fact that they're worried they're not doing enough, to me, means they didn't have a plan. Yeah. Okay? Because they may, if they should know if they're doing enough, enough mm-hmm. or not. Because the plan would say, mm-hmm. okay, here's what you need to do. Yeah. Here's your number. Uh, um, you know, give or take. It's not an exact science. Yeah. Because there's things that come out of left field. Yeah. Um, windfalls, such as perhaps an inheritance mm-hmm. that we don't, we don't take into account. And maybe a big expense that you didn't take into account. Yeah. So you, don't, you can't plan everything. But you do put in as much data as you can. So the average Canadian does expect to need, uh, according to 2020, 
about $700,000 to retire mm -hmm. for a 25-year retirement. Um, I, I looked at that and said, that's probably a pretty good number. Because if you had a 25-year retirement, that would give you about 45000 a year income. Mm -hmm. Okay. Plus, you have your, you know, when nice I say about Canada, and I, I would never suggest that between Canada Pension Plan and Old Age Security, that's a pretty good first level. Yeah. Okay. That's a good baseline because you're going to get a good income between those two. A lot of people say, well, you know, it's not that much money. Well, yeah, if you've got four people, you know, four incomes between your husband, wife, CPP, and Old Age Security, so you've got four different checks coming in, so yeah, to speak, yeah. it does add up. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of funny though, if you went back to 2017, because the number the average Canadian thought they would need was 753,000. So in 2020, they actually said, no, it's only 697. So in three years- What was the first date? Uh, in 2020, okay. 697. Right. 2017, right. they thought it was 753,000. The numbers actually dropped wow. by about $56,000. Mm. Okay. Um, don't know what math they're using here because mm. as far as I know, property taxes have gone up. Mm. Hydro costs have gone up. Um, inflation in general. I know Andy just mentioned it's about 2% inflation. So, and people are living longer. I think, it's the, I think it's the wealth effect, which is this sort of sense that, they you know, stock markets that. have been rising, yeah. real estate prices have been rising. So you feel more confident because of that. And maybe you feel like you need less money. It could very well. And you're right. Um, you know, you think your house, okay, my house is worth <clears throat> this much. There's this sense of security, mm -hmm. just saying, okay, my house is worth yeah. 1.2, but it's all relative. Mm -hmm. Okay. What does that boil down to an in income? if you have to sell the house and rent. Mm -hmm. And what's the cost of rent? Yeah. So you have to look at all these uh, all these different stats uh, or data points and you put that all in to figure out, is your plan, are you gonna be good or not? Mm -hmm. Okay, so you know, 23% of Canadians consider right now, consider retirement a top priority, which isn't that high, okay? But going to your answer there, Andy, um, it's actually down 9% since 2017. Hmm. Perhaps again, going back to the wealth effect. Right. Because maybe they've seen their RSPs go up in value a fair bit over the last few years. The market's done pretty good. Yeah. Their house going up. So they probably feel perhaps a little more comfortable. Yeah. Or they put other things in, in uh, priority and the millennials and so forth are, are living more for today. Mm. And there's data to back that up. And they're procrastinating, yeah. and they're they're not putting it as a priority, and that's a bit of a scary thought. Are younger generations saving more than the parents did? Are they planning more for this? That's a good question because I they're they are saving, but not as much as they should be. Right. Yeah, and we see it right now in Canadian debt. Yeah. Um, the amounts of right. debt Canadians yeah. have with the price of housing right now. Yeah. It's like they're barely getting by yeah. um, on two incomes. Mm -hmm. So I suggest no, they're not yeah. saving enough. Mm. But there is, this has been going on. We've been in business coming up to 35 years here. And the number one reason people do not have enough money is because they procrastinate. They simply do not start early enough. Mm -hmm. And whether it was, you know, they, could, they started their first job, say 25, and they say, oh, well, what if I just waited wait a bit? Yeah. I, I go, I'll put it off. I'll, I'll do something else. I'll, I have student loans to pay off, mm -hmm. whatever it might be. So procrastination still is the biggest detriment to a, a good retirement. And I looked at it. It really comes to two things, procrastination and putting it off. So say you wait 10 years and also the rate of return. So if you're going to do mm -hmm. it, make sure you do it well. Mm -hmm. So I looked at an individual, say, at age 25, 
And they say, oh, you know what? I'm just going to put $200 a month away. Well, if you did that at 5%, you would end up with 305000 mm-hmm. if you did that rate to 65. Now, if you got 7%, you'd end up with 525000 So if you're going to do it, you'd end up with $220,000 more simply by getting an extra 2% rate of return. Right. So yes, definitely do it early, but then try to get the best return Be you can. Yeah. Be a little bit more aggressive because you're younger. At the same token, if you wait until 35 and you got 7%, you'd only end up with 245000 So you end up with two hundred, uh, a good chunk, about the same of $200,000 less of uh, less retirement money. Mm-hmm. Okay, And that's significant when you're only looking at uh, 525000 to begin with. So you're looking at losing 40% of your retirement by putting it off by five year, uh, 10 years. So... Yeah, 600, 66% of Canadians are concerned. They have underestimated the amount of money they'll need. But again, I look at it as what, what did their advisor say? What did their financial planners say? Do they have a plan? Because again, if they're concerned, they've underestimated it. It tells me again, they, they, they don't have a plan. Now, this was a study. They looked at a 1,012 people in the study. So it's a fairly good sample size. Um, 47% are concerned they rely on family to, to retire on. And I always think, okay, that's the last thing you want to look at. You know, like an inheritance? <laughs> uh, inheritance or maybe... Uh, moving in. Maybe they're moving oh, back yeah. in. I don't know. Boomerang it, again. It, they didn't get down to the brass tacks on that, but I would suggest it's not a good idea to rely on your family. Especially with people living later. Oh, my gosh, I mean, yeah. They're going to burn through it. They, To the average person living longer already, they're already, you know, they're being taxed enough yeah. in terms of their ability to retire comfortably. And then you have middle-aged kids having to say, okay, dad, mom, mom, what can we do here? So, or the other way around, they've retired and you actually have to ask your kids to help for help. Mm-hmm. So it's going to, you know, whether you're asking. I'm hoping me, for that. <laughs> Aim high, kids. Come on, do well. Aim do high, well. daddy and mommy's coming. Come on, that rep hockey's got to get you somewhere. <laughs> That's right. So at the end of the day, um, it's a vicious circle. And not meeting that magic retirement number. Yeah, and, and finding out at the, end, at the end of the day is what is your magic retirement number? What, yeah. what kind of number do you need in terms of money? So of the 32% not saving, 45% of those people, so almost half of those people not saving for retirement are between age 18 and 35. Mm. So that would suggest what you're saying are millennials yeah. Yeah. doing their share and half of them Half of the people not saving are millennials. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but my uh, answer to that, and I f- and I found this out uh, recently talking to a couple of clients, is utilize the group plans. Mm-hmm. Okay. First start. First place to start is if your company you work for has a group uh, defined contribution plan where you put in money and they match part of it. Mm-hmm. Max that out, and I uh, most of them out there are four percent of your pay, and mm-hmm. the company will match two percent. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the standard these days. And if you're making 60000 a year, that would give you, that would mean you'd have to put away $200 a month. Well, you save tax on that right away. So it really isn't $200 coming off your pay a month. It works out to 140 off your pay mm-hmm. because they adjust the income tax right. rate at source. And then the company will put in 100 bucks a month. Mm-hmm. Well, after working there, and again, this never happens. People spend 40 years at one employer these days. But hypothetically, if you did move to a different job, the next employer would have the same one. Right. So you keep amalgamating your group plans. But if you did that and you only got a 6% rate of return, your end would accumulate to 400000 and the 
company's end would accumulate another 200000 mm-hmm. And so we do see a lot of people aren't maximizing that. And I'm not quite sure, but one of the, some of the excuses we hear, uh, one a very valid excuse is the worker, the employer isn't really advertising it. Mm. They're really not, they give you a package when you hire, get yeah, hired, yeah. but you're not usually eligible for the first year. Yeah. So you can't even jump in yet. Yeah. And then they don't give you uh, any yeah. reminder. Yeah. So this has happened a number of times. I've talked to some of my clients' kids now. Mm. Um, and don't think for a second an advisor can get you a better return than that. Mm-hmm. Because if the company is matching 50%, I know personally, I w- cannot guarantee you yeah. an extra 50% yeah. added to it. Okay, And not to mention, these companies are, do- are investing in the same identical investments that we are. Mm-hmm. Same companies, everything. So the fact is, if you have an employer definitely do it um, and and do the max. Mm-hmm. Now, anything above the max, you can certainly work with your advisor on that. But for that matter, the advisor, I know I, do, I know Andy does the same. We we take a look at the group plans and we look, we actually help pick the investments for them. Mm-hmm. Because quite often, what it ends up going to, their default, isn't that great. Right. Yeah. So <clears throat> again, comes down to a, comes down to having a good plan. So, as it turns out, um, Canada Pension Plan right now the maximum is eleven seventy six a month, but right now the average person is getting six seventy three a month mm-hmm. because they're not, you know, perhaps they didn't work all the years, they didn't make enough money, they took some time off work, whatever the reason. But at the end of the day, if you did max out all the government benefits per couple, it works out to forty three thousand a year right now. Mm. Pretty good income. Mm. That's kind of like your base level, and if you looked at the average, the average couple today. If you got the average amount of Canada pension plan and your old age security, it's still 31000 a year is kind of your base income just on CPP and OAS. Mm-hmm. So then what you look at is, okay, here's our base with the government benefits. Now, how much do I need above the base? Mm-hmm. And that's where you take a look at your plan and you say, and it will actually work out based on your lifestyle, the exact dollar amount you should have based on all your all the funds you have coming in. And if you don't have enough, it'll actually say, okay, here's how much per month you need to save mm-hmm. or per year, or we need a windfall or a lump sum. It'll actually go through every scenario and different ways you can accumulate to get that magic number. So at the end of the day, um, peace of mind is the biggest reason I would have a financial plan. And that way you won't, you won't be one of these 70% worrying that they don't have enough money for retirement. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now, leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old archive shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Going to take a quick break. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. Investment planning, tax planning, estate planning, expert advice. This is planning your financial future on 900 CHML. 
We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Services, IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. So you've got some money. What do you do? Do you put it away in an RSP or do you pay down the mortgage? This is the time of year when everybody's thinking about RSP top-ups. Maybe I've got a little extra cash sitting around and I'm thinking I want to put it into my RSP. But I've been listening to Andy and Don, and I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> so now we're going to shed some light on this. And uh, at the end, you're going to go, I'm still confused. <laughs> no. You're going to say but a bit of both. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so there, 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 it comes down to sort of five key areas when we analyze this question. And, uh, and the five key areas are your age, your income, your investments, your mortgage rate, and your pension plan. All right. So let's just dig into a little bit, each of these a little bit further. So age, and Don kind of alluded to this in his uh, segment as well, but when you think about RRSPs, being able to start that early is a real priority. So when I think about a young couple getting into the game and thinking about their own retirement plan down the road, an RRSP I think is a really important piece. So I would say that you'd want to be able to make sure that you're putting something into your RRSP on a regular basis. You start that early and you make that a priority. Um, But the need to build home equity and get a head start on that makes a lot of sense too. So it might be something where building that equity allows you to move into a larger home later on, as Mm -hmm. we talked about as well. So extra payments on the mortgage leads to some really significant interest savings over the, uh, over the cost or interest costs over the term of the loan. So, um, and a simple way to do that is to bump up your mortgage payment by, let's say you're paying bi-weekly, bump it up by 50 bucks mm-hmm. every bi-weekly, 100 bucks, 75 bucks, just a little bit, but whatever you can afford. So now you've, you're actually, you're, you're attacking both of those. Yeah. So, and that sort of assesses, you know, the, the, the point about that is that when you're young, the benefit of compounding interest mm-hmm. in your RRSP is enormous. And if you can earn 7%, as Don said, you're, like, you're, at, you're adding an extra uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars with a rate of return plus the fact that you've got more time to allow it to grow. Uh, so age is, a, is definitely a, a priority. So if you're young, let's focus on getting the RSP going mm-hmm. and a little bit more to the, uh, to the mortgage. If you're older, it's going to be, let's get rid of that debt before you retire. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Your income. So the more you earn, the higher rate of tax you pay, right? Uh, That also means two things. That also means you get a bigger refund Mm -hmm. when you contribute money to an RRSP, but it also means you have to earn more before tax dollars to end up with the after-tax dollars you have to pay your mortgage. Does that make sense? No. Okay. So if you're in the higher, if you if you're in a fifty percent tax bracket right. and your mortgage payment is five hundred dollars, right. you have to earn a thousand dollars to end up with five hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're in a thirty percent tax bracket, you only need to earn about seven hundred dollars to end up with your five hundred bucks right. after tax. So you can see how much uh, that mortgage payment's costing you mm-hmm. really in terms of that monthly cash flow. It's really a thousand dollars instead of five hundred yeah. of earnings. Yeah. Uh, so, I think if you're if you're in a high if you're a high income earner, I think you want to quickly reduce that debt expense. Mm-hmm. So, um, it would definitely be a scenario in this case where I would put an RSP contribution, use the tax refund to reduce the mm-hmm. mortgage debt right, right. because of that high tax bracket scenario. 
Uh, the next section is investment returns. So I think, and most of the good thing, good news today is that almost everybody's financial statements, and everybody just got one for December 31st of last year. And, and last year was an excellent year in the financial markets. Stock mm-hmm. markets were all up. Everybody's statements, if you were in a moderate or moderate aggressive portfolio, you're earning somewhere between 12 to 20% mm. last year. So wow. it was a pretty good year. Wow. It was a win-win for everybody. I had to open up that envelope. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. Uh, so, but the long-term average is obviously a big difference too. So, you know, if you think about earning an RRS, sorry, uh, if your investment returns in your RRSP are 7% and your mortgage rate isn't, isn't that, isn't as high, right, right. then you may be better off putting more money into your, into your RRSP mm-hmm. because your that money is going to be growing faster than the amount of interest you're right. paying mm-hmm. on your, on your, uh, on your mortgage. Um, the, uh, the next segment is your mortgage rate. And if your mortgage rate's high, uh, higher than your expected investment return, then you should definitely be paying off your mortgage. Yeah. So in this scenario, I've, we've seen clients that might have gravitated towards more conservative RSP investments. So maybe they've got uh, GICs or a low-risk portfolio, and maybe it's only earning 2 to 3% in that neighborhood, but they might have a mortgage where they're paying 3.5%. Mm-hmm. So they're sort of upside down. They're right. paying more in interest than they're earning on their investments. Right then it's definitely worth paying down the mortgage unless you're willing to change your investment mix on your portfolio. Mm-hmm. So it comes back again, look at the statement, see what you've been earning on your RRSP over the last, not just last year, but look at the long-term, longest average or since inception. If you've, if you've got a history of your returns back five years, 10 years, that'll give you a good long-term perspective and then you can compare that to what you're paying on your mortgage. So mm-hmm. if you're earning less on your RRSP than your mortgage rate, pay down your mortgage. Uh, and a lot of people find they're behind in their RRSP, right? So they've got extra RRSP room. So having a lump sum means, sorry, first of all, that means that you probably haven't been saving enough mm-hmm. along the way. So, But if you have a lump sum, that does let you catch up a little bit on that excess room that you've got sitting there. And that would generate a refund sure. to pay down your mortgage as well. Um, but the final piece I'm going to talk about is just the pension plan. And if you've got a generous pension plan at, in your workplace, then that's going to provide for a pretty secure retirement and a pretty good solid base in terms of cash flow in addition to your old age security Canada pension plan. So a solid workplace pension, I would be looking to concentrate on paying down the mortgage to make sure that that's finished before you retire. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now, leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. Don Fox, Andy Lister, and Scott Thompson, a winning combination. This is Planning Your Financial Future on 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now. Leave a message. They will get back to you. 905-529-7165. And check out their website at andyanddon.com. All right. How to invest when markets are at an all-time high. Yes. And they are. They've, they've hit records again this past week. 
And, uh, you know, the question I often get is, oh, you know, maybe we shouldn't invest now. We should put it off. And it's an interesting question because, you know, timing is always the hardest thing. Yeah. And I, I struggle with that because as, as far as I'm concerned, the best time to invest is when you have the money. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Because anybody that tries to time the market has generally done very poorly. And I know people that, oh, eight months ago said, you know what? And this is about, it's called September. That they said, you know, I'm going to lay off the market. They seem to be a rocky now. I'll wait for them to go down a bit, and then I'll get back in. Well, since about October all the way till now, they've been on a rise. Yeah. So for them to get back to that point, if even September, yeah. they would have to drop approximately, say, 10%. So it's a, it's a losing game trying to time it. But one option is to say, okay, do you put a lump sum in right now, or maybe I'll just spread it over a certain yeah. period of time. Yeah. So if I have 100000 I can say, okay, I'll do 100000 a day, or maybe I'll go 50000 this month, 50000 next month. Yeah. Kind of balance out the risk. Makes sense. Now, the other one, again, is market timing, which we already said doesn't work. It's just unrealistic. So by looking at that, dollar cost averaging is basically buying more shares or less shares depending on the price. So you're buying it at different times. And Mor Morningstar published a book called Dollar Cost Averaging, Truth or Fiction? which is interesting, they, w they took the US stock market, they went back to all the way to 1926. Mm -hmm. So getting close to 100 years of data, and they measured when the dollar cost averaging outperformed just putting the lump sum in now, right. regardless of what the market's doing. And it was interesting, lump sum provides more wealth all the time. It was always ahead. Really? Even if you just spread it over two months. The chance of you, if you said, oh, I'm going to put 50000 this month and 50000 next month, there was a 39% chance dollar cost averaging would be ahead. Okay? Mm. And the graph is quite startling. It basically... Because the money you're putting in as a lump sum will have more time to grow as a lump sum. Right. As opposed to smaller... Exactly. Right, right. So it's the same amount of money. Right. But generally speaking, the markets go up. Mm -hmm. So on average, the market will go up. So if you're going to spread it over time, you're going to miss... The, the, the up. Yeah, yeah. And as much as we have a bit of pessimists in us saying, well, they're too high, I'll buy. Well, there's a lot of people buying. And that's what's moving the markets up or down. I'm not saying they're all rational investors. Yeah. There is uh, corrections mm -hmm. um, both ways. The markets may uh, drop 5 10% back in December 2018, just a year and two months ago. Mm -hmm. The markets dropped 20% in one month. Mm -hmm. Okay. But then they recovered. So in that period of time, yeah, that two-month period, you would have been better off spreading it over two months. Yeah. Why didn't anybody tell me? <laughs> <laughs> but again, it's only a 39% chance. Yeah. Now, if you spread it over, say, 10 years and say, okay, instead of doing um, 120000 up front, I'm going to do 1000 a month for 120 months, right. which is 10 years. Mm -hmm. There's a 2% chance you'll be better off by dollar cost averaging. Really? You would have been better off 98% of the time putting it, all in. putting it all in at the front. And again, makes sense. So they also did this for the Toronto stock market, and they did it from 1956 to 2019. And again, same idea. It didn't make a difference. And again, going back to what you said, Scott, generally speaking, the markets go up. So therefore, if you spread it out, you're going to likely lose. You're betting against a, a rising market right. in, on average. But the other thing so is... So it's best to keep it and put it in the bank until the whatever time of the year and then put it all in at once? Just as you have the money, you put it in. Yeah, that's... 
Yeah, just and, and that's uh, one of the reasons that, that a pre-authorized check works is because it's a little bit each time. Right. You don't have to make that lump sum. And mm-hmm. that's, the, that's the beauty of dollar cost averaging. It's the fact that you didn't have the money up front. Yeah. You're using part of your lifestyle and you're saving every month. So don't get me wrong. Dollar cost averaging is a great idea because yeah. it's a forced savings. Mm-hmm. It's like a mortgage payment, yeah. as Andy was just discussing. It's, it's, people pay off mortgages because they are forced to put money every month. Yeah. It's not because they could afford it before yeah. they got the mortgage, but they yeah. certainly find a way to afford it after. But it's interesting. If you look at the timing, um, how much money it costs, it looked at uh, if you spread it over uh, 10 years, you lose 68% of your wealth. So not only the chance of losing is greater, but how much did it cost you? What was the actual dollar cost? So if you took $100,000, and you were say put it got an eight percent return. Ten years later, it would be worth uh, two hundred sixteen dollars, mm-hmm. two hundred sixteen thousand dollars. I apologize. Right. If you spread it over so much per month, you'd end up with one hundred forty-seven thousand mm-hmm. dollars, according to this study they did. So the the cost of you in that ten-year period was sixty-nine thousand dollars on two hundred sixteen thousand. And the reason is there's also critical months. There's months that you just can't miss, and they make the massive difference. Yeah. And they literally will cost all your return. Like you can literally lose two or three percent of your average return if you miss these months. Yeah. And over a ten-year, uh, over a fifteen-year period of time in the Toronto stock market, there was eight of those months. Mm-hmm. So out of 180 months, if you miss any of these eight months, your return plummeted. Well, who's going to be that good? Yeah. That's only 4% chance you're going to pick those months. Yeah. And in the U.S. stock market, it was even worse. It was only a 3.5%. So again, at the end of the day, follow your plan. Don't try to time the market. Just invest when you have the money. All right. We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call now. Leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. There you can ask a question via the listener inquiry button. As well, listen to old archive shows. Thank you, gentlemen. Have a great week. Thanks, Thanks, Scott. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.